Hello, hello. I am Ashley Caldell, Assistant Director of Online Learning at the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Virginia. And welcome to Designed for Online. In an online learning environment, the inability to be physically present can make it hard for both instructors and students to feel connected. As an instructor, your students want to see who you are behind the screen, and they want to see you as a real person so they feel comfortable enough to reach out and improve their learning. Likewise, instructors like to know the students who they are teaching, as many of the readings, homeworks, and exams don't really necessarily represent who the students are. With this in mind, an important topic among online courses is that of establishing instructor presence. In this episode, I am joined by a wonderful UVA reading education professor and veteran in online instruction. Listen in as Susan and I discuss what it means to create and sustain an online presence in educational courses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Designed for Online podcast. Today, I have with me UVA Assistant Professor Susan Thacker-Qualtney. Welcome, Susan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being on with me today. But before we jump into any of the questions I have prepared for you, I was hoping you could briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. I'm an assistant professor uh, here at the School of Ed. I work primarily in the reading program. And so I work mostly with teachers in the field who are training to become reading specialists. Awesome, thank you so much. So I wanted to start the conversation today around the idea of instructor presence. One thing I've noticed when I talk to some of my online faculty who are new to online teaching, especially those who are teaching asynchronously online, they have concerns about how present they should be in their online course because there isn't necessarily a hard and fast rule of how many times you need to log into your course a day or a week. So I was curious if you could speak to what instructor presence means to you and how do you personally remain present in your online courses? Sure. Well, uh, instructor presence to me reflects how I interact and communicate in order to establish relationships with the students and to facilitate, you know, the objectives that I'm trying to teach. Um, it, sure, it involves how often I interact with students, but it also involves how I communicate with them. Um, I do try to intentionally design each of the courses so that the students have to interact with each other, but also with me. Uh, and in order to learn the material. I think that, uh, you know, establishing clear communication with them is, is critical. Like, uh, you know, I, I try to communicate with them in a variety of ways. And I tell them, you know, at the beginning of the course, this is how I'm going to communicate with you. This is what you can expect. Um, I think one thing I, I tend to struggle with, even after doing this for a while, is just making sure that I give timely, quick feedback when I'm grading to students. I want it to be personal, but I also want it to, you know, come as quickly as possible to them so that they can uh, track their learning as we go through the course. Um, the other thing I think I would do to say to establish my presence is just giving them lots of options to get help. 
they have community question board. They can email me. They can text or call me. Uh, but having them know this is how I'm available to help you, where you can get help from a peer or you can get help from me. Uh, and, you know, just reiterating that in every communication with them. No, I think that's really great. And I love that there's different ways that you remain present in the class. It's not just you send one announcement and that's the only time they hear from you. I love that you say, email me, text me. I'm going to be in this discussion board. I'm going to be over here. And also having them interact with each other, I think mm -hmm. is really great too. So I appreciate all of those great strategies. And I know our listeners will too. Mm -hmm. And speaking of strategies, I'm going to segue into my next question. And I was curious about some of the strategies you use to introduce yourself to your students at the beginning of a course, because a lot of your courses are asynchronous online and they might not even really get to see you physically at all. So I'm curious, what do you do to introduce yourself so they know, hey, I'm the instructor of this course? <laughs> um, well, you know, it starts before the class begins. So I would say anywhere from 14 to 21 days out, I go through SIS and I send a welcome message to anyone who's enrolled. Uh, and I just say, you know, hey, you're enrolled in this class. Hi, I'm your instructor. Um, I, I tell them what to call me. I give them options. So um, I'm comfortable with people using my first name or I say to them, if that doesn't make you comfortable, call me Dr. TG. Um, I tell them when I'm going to be available. I give them, you know, so a little bit of information. I tell them when the course site's going to be ready. Uh, and I invite them to reach out to me if they have questions before the class even begins. Um, the other things I do once the class is in orientation week, um, I've designed the orientation modules not only to familiarize them with Canvas, but also to give them a chance to meet me. Like I do a video introduction of myself. I have like a scavenger hunt through the through the modules so they can kind of navigate and get to know uh, the syllabus and the site uh, and each other. Um, one thing that I do, and I, I've done this forever, they always introduce themselves, of course, in the discussion board. But what I found is that for myself, that's kind of overwhelming. So I do a survey of the students uh, for myself that finds out, you know, a little bit about them and their background. But I also ask them about their learning preferences in that survey. So I find out, you know, do you like video? Do you like to do written format? Uh, do you prefer a live meeting? Uh, so I try to give them, you know, to tell me what what's your preferred mode of online learning. Uh, and then I also, uh, most of us use Zoom periodically through the semester. But I, I don't set those dates in advance. I find, I survey the students and get their input, and then I take the most popular days and times, and I use those to set those meetings. Um, so I want them to feel like they have some input into how our class runs, you know, before it really even gets off the ground. Um, the other things that I do... Oh, I always invite them to a live meeting during orientation week so they can, it's just informal, just so they can say hello, get to meet a classmate, get to meet me. And I use that as a chance to answer questions. Um, I have standing office hours every week. And I find that 
you know, particularly with first generation students, they often don't know what office hours are or what they're for. So I always explain, okay, this is what office hours are. Here's how you can use them. And if this isn't a convenient time, then I, of course, I invite them to make an appointment with me. Um, so I try to meet at times that will be convenient for working adults. So it's usually afternoons and early evenings. You had so many great strategies that I'm like, that's so I, that's such a great idea. And I want to talk about that. And then you brought something else. And I was like, I want to talk about that too. Um, but the first thing that I absolutely love, and I think every instructor should do is communicate with your students before the semester starts. I cannot emphasize that enough because um, I sometimes work with students and I see their frantic emails of, did I sign up for the course? I haven't heard from the instructor. I don't know what books to get. I don't know what time classes meeting. And there's so many, so much panic that builds when students don't hear from an instructor. Mm -hmm. And I love that you reach out to them 14 to 21 days. That is amazing. <laughs> well, I, I will say there, because I do that in advance, I also try to do, I do follow-ups like every, Perfect. I check the enrollment and I, if I see it's changed, I just resend and I say, hey, Sorry, it's a duplicate, but we had some new enrollees. I want to make sure everybody gets the message. Uh, and so I do that in CIS probably two times, maybe three times, depending on how the enrollment shifts. And then in the first announcement that I send in orientation, I resend that same message again. Uh, and I've at that point told them this was when the class was going to open. So I published it at that time. You know, that brings up something else that I thought about, um, and I've had plenty of semesters where this is not the case, but I can be more present in a class when I am not building it at the same time that I'm teaching yes. it. And so yes. the single most important tip I have is build as much of your content in advance of the course beginning, uh, because you really don't have time to have your, you know, have two feet, uh, one in the current module, one, you know, four modules ahead. Um, as much as possible, I try to do that. And I'm not always successful, but I'm, I'm more present when I'm not worried about something, you know, five weeks from now. No, I think that's a very good point. And I'm happy you brought that up because that's something that I try to stress um, to our online faculty that I support is even though it's a lot of work and it's front loaded, it's going to make the semester go so much smoother. Because like you said, you can be present in the course and you can be engaged and not feel overloaded. And when you are in that current week. So thank you for bringing that up. That was such a great tip. And I, I do tell the students, though, because I, I'm I'm of the mindset I open everything. So everything that's that's done, I publish it. They can see all of it. Um, but what I do tell them is I reserve the right for whatever module that's coming up to make an adjustment because I am checking their assignments and quizzes along the way. And so if I see we need more you know, attention or work on a topic, I need to have that flexibility to be able to say, you know what, we're not going to do x we're going to do y instead uh and so they they understand that i have until saturday of the week before to fix that module if i want to make some tweaks absolutely and i think that's what makes a great online course is that you can cater it to what your students needs are that semester instead of just assuming this one course that you built you know last semester is going to work for your students this semester so i think that's really smart and i I um, have instructional design interns, and so I always like to get their feedback on courses and things like that. 
And I was had one instructor who was super nervous about opening up her entire course beginning the semester. And she was like, what if students are working ahead like four or five weeks in advance? And my students were yeah. like, we, we don't have time to do that. Like we can barely Number make one, this they week don't. work. Exactly. Yeah, they don't. And the other thing is, if it's something you really don't want them to touch, you can you know, you can make it available. It can be published, but not available until exactly. a certain time. Cause there's certain discussions that I might not want available until, you know, the time it, it opens up. So yeah, definitely for sure. And one thing that you referenced, that's going to lead into my next question is you talked about having offer sour options and live orientation options. So I was curious, what is your typical availability? Like what is a great medium or a happy medium for you? Because I know that a lot of instructors want to be present, but they also don't want to be too present and offer too much availability options because you have your own personal life and you don't want to be stressed all the time. So what's a great balance for you that you found? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to say, even though the platform is available 24-7, I make it very clear from the get-go, I am not available 24-7. Uh, and so what I tell my students is Monday through Friday, you can expect to hear from me within 12 to 24 hours. And if you don't, you should reach back out to me. Uh, but if it's the weekend, if you call me after 5 p.m. on Friday, I might not get back to you until Monday unless, you know, your house is burning down. Or um, I will say I do try to check for things like broken links on the weekend because I know a lot of my students are doing their work. They're working adults. They're doing their work on a Saturday. And so if something is broken in the in the upcoming module that that really tweaks their last nerve. Um, so I try to fix things like that. Um, I do tell students if, you know, if office hours don't work for you, I'll make an appointment with you at a time. And I try, give me a couple of times between the two of us, we'll find something that's convenient, but I am not, you know, I, I check email and discussion boards and the community question board. I check it once a day. So if, you know, if it did, it, it's, you'll get a 12 to 24 hour response that way. Um, I feel like though, if your content is clearly organized and you give clear expectations, you don't get that many questions or, you, you know, like I, for me, when I'm getting a bombarded with questions, it's generally something on my end that I haven't made, you know, crystal clear for the students. Um, yeah, no, I think it's really smart to set those expectations up front because being an online instructor, you're right. People are like, well, why aren't you on 24 seven? We have all this great technology, but you as the instructor need to take a break and you need to kind of separate yourself sometimes. So I think setting those expectations, it helps reduce any sort of anxiety and student might have if they email you and 10 minutes goes by, it's like, why hasn't my instructor responded back? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the other thing I would say is that if you know you're going to be away, then I tell them. I just send an announcement and say, hey, folks, I'm at a conference, you know, from this day to this day. That means I won't be checking email. I'll get back to you. You know, here's a way you can get help in the meantime. Um, so, so they need to know if there's a reason you're not responding or if you're grading an assignment and you know you're not going to get it back in the time frame that's expected then just tell them hey i had a lot come in sorry this is this is my timeline i'm working on uh when students know what's going on with you they're a lot more flexible and patient i think yes i would agree with that 100% okay 
Well, as much as I'm enjoying this conversation, we're going to take a quick break for this episode's brain break. And when we come back, Susan is going to share some of her strategies she uses to both build relationships and a sense of community in her online courses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode's brain break. As always, before I ask you this episode's trivia question, I wanted to give you the answer to last episode's question. Last episode, I asked, how many teeth do most adults have? The answer, 32. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have to go and count all my teeth just to see how many I have because I'm curious. Now, let's move on to this episode's trivia question. Which former president defeated only once in 300 matches was inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in 1992? Curious what the answer is? Lucky for you, you get to find out right now. We're going to be going on a short hiatus, so this will be our last episode until the new year. So the question again is, which former president defeated only once in 300 matches was inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in 1992? The answer, Abraham Lincoln. I can honestly say I had no idea Lincoln was inducted into the Wrestling Hall of Fame. The more you know. Now, let's get back to our episode. And we're back. Now, before the break, we talked about the idea around instructor presence and how you can remain present in your online courses. But I wanted to switch gears a little bit and discuss how your presence can help foster relationships and community among your students. So my question to you is, how do you use your presence to build both relationships and a sense of community in an online learning environment? Well, that's a great question. Um, just off the top of my head, the, the first thing I think about is, um, you know, there's a lot of written format in a Canvas course. And so wherever possible, I try to use video or audio of me. I think seeing my face, hearing my voice um, helps them get to know me. Uh, and I think it also helps them feel more comfortable talking to each other. Um, so for example, I always record overview and wrap up videos for each week. Uh, and I try to draw directly from the conversations or the interactive activity that we were doing that week uh, so they can see my voice and hear what I think was important from the modules. Um, I often put students into small groups. Actually, I almost exclusively use small groups, but I change them up throughout the semester so they get a chance to know people in a little, you know, in a little, in a smaller setting. They get to know each other uh, better. Um, every week for every module, I have a weekly interactive grade. And so, you know, in the old days, it used to be all written discussion boards. But now uh, what I try to do is I survey the students at the beginning, find out what their preferences are. But then I, you know, I use a variety of interactive tools. Um, so, you know, it could be a video discussion. It could be a written discussion that I give them options. You know, you choose. Uh, it could be a Zoom meeting. It could be an annotation of a case study or a lesson that we're learning together. Um, but I try to use the different tools in Canvas to make the interaction fun. It's fun, but also, you know, pertinent to whatever my objectives are for that, for that content. Um, 
in terms of them getting to know me, I like to use personalized feedback for every assignment. So for example, even on weeks with discussion, and I'm looking, you know, I might be looking at 12 or 13 small groups that week, I keep a single set of notes on every module's discussion. And I, I jot down anything common that I see coming up across the small groups. I share in my feedback to the students, these were the common themes that were discussed among you all. Um, and then I always give something personal. I choose one of their posts or their summary and I say, you know, hey, I really appreciated how you made that connection back to the reading or I appreciate how you applied that to your own classroom instruction. Um, so I try to do something personal there. And then on big assignments, things where they've had to put a lot of effort into an open-ended assignment, I use either video or audio feedback rather than written feedback uh, with my rubric because I find that's a way for them to hear, you know, they hear my voice and hear what I thought about uh, an assignment. And I find they tend to respond to me more on those. Like they'll, they'll say, hey, I heard when you said, you know, this about my assignment. Can you tell me more about that? Or how can I, you know, be better uh, at this? Um, I often encourage students to set up peer or study groups. I usually do that at the beginning of the course. And I, you know, I show them ways they can get a hold of each other. Uh, I don't know how many of them take me up on it, but I know before exams, when I do review sessions, a lot of them will set up informal study groups. And then when we do our live Zooms, which I do three of those a semester, usually three or four, I always start with a quick check-in with the class. Um, I might put up a funny meme or ask them a question or just say, hey, who's got a great study tip for, for this class? And then we'll use the chat or the microphone and they just share back with one another and with me. Uh, and I find that's a good way to kind of keep a handle on where they are. Those are really great tips. And one thing that I loved was the personalized feedback that you offer to your students, because I think that just gives them a little like burst of energy that she saw what I said and she liked it. And I think that's so motivating and encouraging, especially to some of our online students who may feel a little isolated or alone in a course. They're like, somebody read what I said and they, you know, they built this relationship and connection with it. So I love that you do that. And I really like that you do audio and video feedback because I just love mixing different modalities because sometimes if you're constantly reading discussion boards or content in a course and then your feedback is written, sometimes I feel like our brains just kind of shut off. Mm -hmm. And so if it's just a different modality, it's enough to be like, oh, this is new. Like, let me really focus on that. And I really, I really did appreciate that. And I think more instructors should start utilizing some of those great feedback tools. Mm -hmm. And that brings me into my next question, <laughs> which you kind of talked about a little bit, but I was going to ask it anyway, if you wanted to add anything else, but how do you enhance your presence through feedback between modules or assignments? Um, well, one thing that I think about is sending reminders and kind of keeping track of students. And even though it's graduate school and I know that, you know, they should be responsible for, for when things are due, um, I find it's helpful to go into the grade book and send that auto reminder to the students that, hey, this is due. You haven't submitted yet. Uh, this is just an auto remind, friendly reminder. Don't forget this is coming up. 
um, many students tell me they appreciate that because sometimes things fall off their plate and, and it's, it's nice that, you know, they, they feel like I'm looking over their shoulder, <laughs> I guess. Um, the other thing that I get good feedback from students on is being present within the discussions themselves. And I'm going to be honest, I find that to be daunting. You know, it's, if you're running lots of small groups and going in and, and, you know, reading posts and trying to respond either video or audio or written. Um, what I do is I keep a, I keep a, a word doc and I, you know, I keep track of the common themes. I also keep track of my posts because what I find is I often make the same, I can often make the same response because the same topics and themes are coming up. So I can copy and paste it into the other small groups. I find this makes it easier for me to, to you know, to be, be present. And what I think to myself is if I ask them to post two times this week, then I'm going to post two times as well in their groups. Uh, because I feel like uh, if I thought it was important enough to grade it and ask them to think about it, then I need to be present and responding to them as well. So a lot of students have commented to me that, wow, you're like the first professor that that's responded to my post in a discussion. And, you know, I'm always a little surprised by that, actually. <laughs> so uh, but I am active in the discussions with the students. I love that you made a reference to if I'm asking my students to do this. I should do that myself to say, hey, this is important. And I'm actually interested in what you have to say about this topic. So I think that's a really great point, because I do think that sometimes people forget, like, yes, we want our students to do this, but why do we want them to do it? Let's show them that it's important and it's going to help them in their future career paths. So no, I I applaud your efforts and getting, I know how daunting those discussion posts and reading all of them can be, especially in some larger enrollment classes. So I applaud you. Know, you. If, it were, if it were a larger enrollment class, then, then it might not be possible for me to go in more than say once into each small group. But what I find is, you know, what I usually have to say is probably the same to each group. Or, or I can say, hey, so-and-so made a really great post. I thought you'd be interested in it too. And I can share that, you know, with the other groups. So it it makes me active, but it also shows them that I'm listening and I'm, you know, I'm watching what they're doing. Um, the other thing that I do from a practical point of view is that I, and this sounds, it, it's, it's very low tech, but I have a paper chart uh, and I have the 14 weeks of the semester and I have all the classes that I'm teaching and I write down what kind of interactive that I'm doing in each class for each week. And so I'm not going to run three video discussions in all of my classes on the same week. So I go through and look and I make adjustments so it, you know, I can use my time wisely as well. And if I know I have a huge assignment coming in, you know, on week seven, then I'm going to maybe do annotation and something else in a different class so that I can give myself the time I need uh, to, to give feedback. Um, the other thing that I do, I forgot to mention this earlier, but when I do my discussions, I don't run them all week. Uh, I run my discussions in the latter part of the week. So Wednesday to Saturday. And what I tell the students is this, use the weekend before 
and Monday. So from Saturday to Wednesday, use that time to do the readings, do the, you know, the canvas pages, do the work of the module so that by Wednesday, you're ready to have a conversation about it. Uh, and so what I find for me that frees up the beginning of my week to focus on grading and then I can give more attention. I know I'm going to be giving more attention to those interactives in the latter part of the week. No, that's brilliant. And I love that you said that you had a very low tech way to map this. And as you keep building on it, I was just like, this sounds like the fanciest chart I have ever heard. Oh, I don't think you could see it because of my thing, but it's oh. it's very messy and handwritten. Okay. But listen, oh, it's I right by that. my computer. It's by my computer. And I look at it every week and I check and I'm like, oh, I've got Zoom and you know in this class and you know, I've got annotation in this class. And um, yeah, I'm very cognizant of what's going on in those weeks. And for example, if you know you're going to go present at a conference on week nine, then maybe that's the week you say, hey, you know what, we're going to combine the discussion for modules nine and 10 and do that discussion after and, and give them something to do independently that doesn't involve you having to look over their shoulder because you know you're going to be out of touch for that part of the week. So that's brilliant. I applaud you and your your low tech, but I'm going to put it in quotes. <laughs> Way to Eventually, I will probably move it to a spreadsheet, but um, but uh, right, you know, it works for me. So <laughs> do what's best for you. Um, so I have one more question for you, um, and it's all about offering a sense of closure at the end of the semester. So how do you offer that sense of closure as the semester is concluding, but also remain present in a student's life after the semester has concluded? Do you still remain in contact with your students um, because you've built these great connections? Or is it we say goodbye and then our students move on and then we get our new batch of students? Um, well, you know, it. Uh, this is something I continue to wrestle with. Um, I always invite students at the end of the semester to reflect on what they've learned across the entire course in the in their last modules. And I also always send, you know, sort of a, a culminating message that invites them, hey, look me up on Facebook. Um, you know, I love to hear from students, keep emailing me. Um, I do have students that take me up on that. I mean, I have one student who for years now, she writes me every fall and spring and asks me about a student's, you know, reading assessment or wants a strategy, you know, for literacy, or she's like, what's the latest research on, you know, teaching fluency, you know, whatever the topic is, she'll, she'll write me questions. Um, and so I love that. I love to hear from those students. Um, but I do wish that I had something that was a little more consistent or intentional. You know, we can't bring in pizza and cupcakes to an online environment. Um, one thing that uh, a couple of faculty and I have talked about doing is, is hosting like an informal Zoom after classes are over, you know, maybe have them bring their favorite read aloud or their favorite, what, what are you reading right now? Bring your favorite book and just have a time to chat and talk with one another uh, and create those connections. Because I think those professional connections and personal connections are important um, to, you know, have that sense of belonging. Oh yeah, for sure. When I was an online student, uh, we, I had so many classes and they were asynchronous and we didn't have synchronous opportunities. So I just knew names of my um, colleagues or the other people in the class. And I started working at UVA and I was in 
a um, workshop with somebody and they sat next to me and we were talking and we found out that we were in the same program. And then we looked at each other's names and we're like, I know you. And, <laughs> and so then we had this great connection. And then we still talk today because we were in the same program. And then we were like, we're working in the same institution. And so it's really great. And so I also wrestle with how do we like ensure that students as they leave this course still remain present and build those connections because there's so many great professional opportunities and collaborations that can happen. Mm-hmm. And one thing, as you were talking, I was like, you know how in high school that it's like, here's a 10 year reunion, everyone come back. I'm mm-hmm. like, can we do that on Zoom and be like, <laughs> hey, you took my class so many years ago, but let's get back and let's see what professions we're doing and how we can um, engage. But I don't know if anyone will do that. You know, uh, we we might not do this with our classes so much, but my cohorts that I advise, yeah. the cohorts that go through the masters, we still do have like wine and cheese zooms. Like that, they'll oh, I love that. You know, they'll invite me, and I find out who's had a baby, and Aww. you know, who's teaching where, and who's still in the district, who isn't. Um, so it's wonderful to be able to make those connections with students. Well, Susan, I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me about instructor presence. And I know that all of our listeners are taking away so many great strategies. I know I am. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. (laughs) Well, thanks for inviting me. This was fun. And that concludes this episode of Designed for Online. I am so grateful to Susan for joining us this week And I hope that you were able to learn some valuable information on what goes into forming an online presence for both instructors and students. It can be difficult to know where to start when introducing yourself to your students, and it can also be hard to know what strategies will work best for your audience. But going into the semester with many ideas and a flexible mindset can help you as an instructor create effective and meaningful courses that engage your students. We will be taking a hiatus from the podcast as we near the end of the semester, but be sure to tune in for new episodes coming this February. As always, thanks for listening and talk to you soon.